Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome back to the Growth Island podcast. Today, I got a guest on that I got recommended for the last two years. So several really, really good people said like, you need to talk to this guy on your podcast, but you also need to meet him in real life. He is a wealth of knowledge. And more importantly, he's just really, really nice to spend time with. So when I was talking with Julia from the Biohacking Congress, which runs in Miami, the 16th to 17th of October this year, she was like, she introduced his name again and I was like, okay, now I definitely need to get this guy on because I wanted to talk to him for two years. So this was a lovely opportunity. So today I got Bob Troyer on. Bob Troyer is also known as Quantified Bob. We'll get more into that. But he is, you say, one of the pioneers in the biohacking and quantified field and one of the people that are actually testing and sharing knowledge in a good way. And one of the keywords that I got whenever I hear his name is, well, this is a guy that's really honest and it's a guy that actually tracks and shares in a proper way. So that's why you need to talk to Bob. Not just because he's been featured in many news and magazines and so on, but because of his approach of actually doing these tests. So Bob, thank you so much for finding the time to come on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. So Bob, tell me a little bit more about how you got into this quantified self biohacking and your approach to it. Sure. So I, I've been really just looking at ways to understand myself better for decades, going back to when I was a teenager playing sports and skinny high school kid that was trying to gain muscle and be faster and stronger. And, and yeah, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all these things. And so the technology were like tape measures and a scale and a stopwatch and, but trying to understand how to, you know, get that data and, and look at the different components to optimize for those areas. You know, you fast forward a number of years, I, I, I did some track and field athletics and I was in university and college, came in, got out of university, came into the real world. Now you've got real life stressors on your body. You're getting older. You're not exercising the way you used to. Um, I still always had that curiosity. So what was interesting was I was finding new ways and seeing, okay, this is someone will talk about a certain diet or, or certain training programs. And, and I would apply that to myself look at data see what would work or not work. And it really was about 12, 10, 10, 11 years ago where I hit a point where I was just really running really well. I thought like I was running my own business or being successful there. I was playing in a, in a band. I had a good social life, had every, everything was really going well. And on the outside, I mean, even exercise and training, but I was in, I just was like exhausted on the inside. And I was like, I think I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything, you know, and, and I guess it was just one day I was sort of like, something isn't right here. What, what's going on? And, and I started then really rethinking, you know, just in terms of health and diet and, and, you know, cause you, you have these belief systems and the, and the challenge a lot of people have are you you latch on to something and you never question your own beliefs. You never give yourself the opportunity to entertain. It can be the most ridiculous thing and say, let's have a conversation about it. Convince me otherwise, or I'll look at the data. And so, you know, I, I started looking more into the areas of like functional medicine, getting into really what's going on on the inside, not 
you know, the symptoms kind of like you hear about what the, what the cause is. And that was a, you know, a several year long process, just really uncovering the layers of just, okay, I've got fatigue. I've got these other issues. Why am I worn out? And then you look into what's going on in your body and your system down to not just diet, because that's one thing you can rethink, but really what, what's that affecting in terms of your systems and organs and all of that. While this was all happening, there was another movement that was started called the quantified self movement. And this came out of California, Kevin Kelly, who was the creator of Wired Magazine, kind of coined this phrase. And you've heard folks like Tim Ferriss early on talk about these things. And that really came down to finding a community of people that were using data to, to gain more self-knowledge. So there was no such, no one was talking about biohacking. This is just about using data. And it could be everything from looking at your body and, and areas of yourself and your biology to any aspect of your life. People were tracking relationships. People were tracking just other areas and books they read it. But there was an overlap. We started seeing a lot of people who were using this information, I, including myself, to, to kind of run these self-experiments and, and look at data in ways, you know, where you're trying to find correlations, not just that, like, I do this and this is the result, but maybe it's some combination of things that had a plus one equals three, let's say, for that. A, a few years later, we really saw the emergence of biohacking. And this, I think the first biohacking conference was about nine years ago, maybe that. So I, there's a group of us, about maybe 60 of us or so, that went to this bar in San Francisco. Dave Asprey organized it. And we just, there was really no format. It was just a conference, but we just had three days of playing with technology, giving talks and all that. And what I realized there were a lot of those people, there were some that I knew from the quantified self kind of a community, but there were a lot of people who I didn't know. They're coming from other areas of athletics and performance and the medical research community. And what we saw was, the quantified self people are really into understanding themselves through data. Biohackers aren't necessarily looking at data. They just want to try lots of things and get themselves to an optimal state. So they might try 50 things at the same time. And they're like, well, 49 of them might not be doing anything, but they're just like, I'm going to throw everything at it. You know, they're really eager to try new things. So, so my story is, you know, I get to that point and I was like, well, I think there's a better way to approach this where you can take some of the principles of self-experimentation, looking at data. Because it's very individualized, this whole area of biohacking, like what works for me may not work for you at all. Doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong or I'm doing it wrong. It's just that we're all, you know, our biologies are very unique. And, uh, but what's good is if you structure experiments and look at it, we do it the same way, you can get some cool observations there to see trends of, you know, certain types of people or what works for men might not work for women uh, or different ages or circumstances. And. And so my background has always been in technology. So I built businesses over the last few decades from the early days of the web. I built one of the earliest social media technology firms that I sold about 10, eight, nine years ago. And, and it's really just been over the last few years where I've been able to sort of marry more of the passion and purpose where I can put my head down and not just make this like a hobby, be focusing more on how can I apply a lot of what I've learned over the last 10 years into developing solutions or, or just taking things a step further in terms of marrying the biology and technology and self-experimentation. Fantastic. So, Bob, one of the things that I've been curious about is how do you evaluate like a biohack or self-experiment before doing it? And then afterwards, like, how do you decide on it? But if we start with like, how do you evaluate like what biohack to try or self-experiment to do? Sometimes it's, I'll just see a lot of people talking about something that's out there 
And you know, an experiment could be about a particular piece of technology. It could be about some type of exercise. It could be fasting, diet, et cetera. So for myself, it'd be something that I just have a curiosity in. I can pull off or do an experiment that don't have to last as long because the problem is if you're doing, you can't be doing many simultaneous experiments because they're all going to interfere with each other. So let's take an example of like, I, I, a few years back, a lot of people were talking about, this is still one of us in the research circles, the, the fasting mimicking diet, which is Walter Longo and, and folks like that talk about this idea of caloric restriction where over five days, you, you're not totally fasting. You're, it, it's like a, a very low level of caloric intake that gives you the benefits of the fast without totally fasting. I was like, oh, this feels cool. But at the time there was only study, there was papers that were written about it. And they, and I went through and looked at all the reason papers and, and saw like the, okay, this is how they were doing their experiments. And I said, okay, well, this will take five days. I can do, you know, get some data before run the experiment. What, and I figure out from structuring the experiment, like, okay, well, what are the types of, what are the types of data I'd want to collect? And some of the things can be very passively collected. It might be if you have wearables, so you're going to get things like heart rate, sleep data, all that kind of stuff, HRV, you may want to supplement with glucose tracking, tracking ketones. Well, ketones, you can track three different ways, blood, urine, and breath. And, and glucose monitors, you know, typically you'd finger stick, you know, your finger and do that. But now we have continuous glucose monitors, but not everybody has access to those or the price could be a lot. So you figure out all the variables and, and sometimes I'll just throw like a bunch of things and say, let's just measure all these areas. And you realize, okay, these are not relevant. So in the future, I know like certain things didn't change at all. And so you want to keep those aside, but I would just follow the, I'd structure the experiment and document it. And then because I had done lab, in this case, I did some blood work, lab testing before and after just to see, cause I had some theories. If that's the other thing, you do an experiment, it's not just to understand more about yourself or what works or doesn't work, but you want to kind of see what that, what is being affected by something. And with something like that experiment, which is effectively a fast over five days, what I, the, the biggest thing I, I was interested about was I saw that when you fast, it, when you refeed after a fast, it, it, you get the surge of growth factors. So it's not about like fasting and you're going to lose muscle and all that and atrophy. It's actually, if your body goes, Hey, I can eat again. I'm not going to die. And things like testosterone, growth hormones, all those things like go way up. So like looking at my before and after things like testosterone, there was like a huge increase in, in those numbers just because again, with the refeed. Happen and what I've always seen with fasting, just as your ketone bodies rise over several days, for me at least, tremendous improvements in sleep quality and heart rate variability, things like that. Just because I think the body sh is shifting, it gets, at least for me, it, it, for, I think for a lot of people who don't eat, who maybe eat, they eat late meals or things like that. Your that can affect your overnight sort of HRV and, and things like that. So. Now we've been experiment the testosterone. Did you go in and get some uh, blood tests done or? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I did some blood tests. There's a company in the U.S. called Inside Tracker that um, does a panel. You know, they have a basic panel and a more advanced panel and they'll do, you know, just to work up. So did a, I did it before and after just identical tests. And then, um, and actually I waited the after I waited a few, I mean, you want to wait maybe like two days after you finish your fast to retest because that's where the effects of the refeed will, will be noticeable. And then during the experiment, you're, you know, some of the data is being collected every minute. Some things you're going to have to do like twice a day, like if you're doing like a uh, finger sticks for glucose or ketones. 
so in that case, that's like an experiment where you call it like a, like a, an AB experiment. So you, you, you collect data beforehand, you do some stuff during the experiment, and then you look at the results after. Normally what you want to do with like other types of experiments would be like, uh, either an ABA or DAB where you've got sort of a baseline control, you do the experiment and you go back to your control and then you collect that data for a while and, and you know, test again. Sometimes it's just the timing might take too long to do some of these or cost or, you know, but, but some experiments are, you know, some of just evaluating something, right? So I, I did some early glucose tracking experiments where, and this goes back to that first biohacking conference where I, you know, nobody was other than diabetics were really looking at blood sugar other than your annual checkup. And I was learning about some substances that would help stabilize blood sugar and actually stabilize the, the variability and also lower. So I was like, oh, let me try this supplement out. And, and so I, for seven months, I tracked my blood sugar several times a day. And it was interesting because how were your fingers after that back then? It, that was, yeah, it, yeah, and a finger right. You end up finding yeah, you have to find like different locations and all <laughs> no. that. But yeah, they get they get they get bruised. Not pretty. But I it was interesting to see the effects of so this wasn't like what people are doing now where you wear a continuous glucose monitor and you're watching the glycemic response to like a, a meal after you know, like every minute. <laughs> this is like looking day by day trends which is where I started. Cause that was, you, you know, think of like, as things get better, we get more granularity to them. So we started off with like, okay, one or two readings a day. And I would get my baselines and I would see the effects of like, okay, here's my normal numbers. I took some different, I tried out some supplements, saw how those have actually had an impact, got off the supplements, saw it, wanted to see if things would go back to where they were, assuming that everything else in my life was constant. And then you would see things like, what affects it negatively? I was surprised to see that when I, I was doing a lot of travel for business and flying cross country in the United States, third year, my blood sugar would go up for several days after arriving, after you know flying, let's say a, a six, five, six hour flight. And so it's basically like a stressor on the body. And so, you know, you're seeing that, that number go up. There were definitely times where certain days, my blood sugar, my morning fasting numbers would be much lower. And then I looked at my data, like, well, I was playing um, soccer, football, the nights before, even in the, and so the exercise in the evening, I was, you know, that type of exercise would result in a much, actually bring my blood sugar down overnight into the following morning, which is kind of cool. So you can get these like general observations you're learning about yourself. And then if you fast forward a few more years, we get into things like continuous glucose monitors. I, I was able to then, you know, take some of these experiments and elaborate on them even more. So now we can see just kind of baseline. Okay. What happens to my body over 24 hours? Like one thing you can't do with a finger stick is see what happens while you're sleeping. And if you look at your sleep data, you might see like little disruptions overnight. And when I overlaid my sleep data with my glucose data, I realized that my blood sugar was actually dipping at certain points overnight. I was going hypoglycemic. And my body, your body's going to kind of wake up to get that cortisol surge to bring blood sugar back up. And that for me was an interesting insight because from a sleep optimization standpoint, I realized like some slow digesting carbs little, like in the evening that will help maintain those blood sugar levels overnight. And I wouldn't have those dips that, that I noticed. And I can only, and I only noticed that through, you know, wearing that, that continuous glucose monitor.
And then also looking at, you know, glycemic response to different foods, which a lot of people are doing now, what's really cool is uh, just being able to see not just like, like okay, eat an apple, what, how high does my blood sugar go, how long it stayed at that height, and then how, when does it come back down? But if you said something like, I'm going to drink a can of soda, I don't drink soda, but let's say I drink a you know, big thing, sugar and soda, and you drink it and you want to see your glucose response. It's going to be pretty, you know, maybe pretty bad. And I said, no, now I'm going to drink a can of soda. I'm going to go for a 10-minute walk. And you're going to be like, wow, just the act of going for a walk after you consume something that's very high glycemic, highly glycemic, would have that buffering effect. So you're like, okay, that's a simple hack, right? <laughs> it's like, eat some cake, go for a walk, and to lower your levels. Um, but you would also see, like, we don't eat, often eat, like, one thing by itself. It's like a meal is usually a combination of foods. So take, like, white rice on its own would spike my blood sugar, but in conjunction with, like, if I had like coconut oil in there somewhere, the oil would actually buffer the, res- the uh, glycemic response. It actually allow me to, like it, it, the, the spike would be less and it wouldn't sustain as long. So it was actually a cool insight. And there's other tricks like things like white rice, like if you cook it and then you put it in a refrigerator, cool it, it becomes more of a resistant starch and actually has much, much less of an effect on a lot of people. So you can start making those observations record. I mean, just jump in, Bob. Just so. so, so there's all these different uh, ways to actually measure as you're mentoring and you actually figure out from the glucose monitors. I tested one as well. I mean, one of my friends said like, he actually figured out that it was sleep and stress had a bigger impact for him than food. And then of course his days are never the same. And that's often one of the challenges when you have to do these self-experiments. How do you deal with that being like, because it's very hard to keep every day the exact same to then test out. And because what happened the week before, for example, will also have an impact on the results. How, how do you look at that challenge? Well, that, yeah, that's, so there's a term called analysis paralysis. And so what often happens would be, I used to get all excited about, I'd queue up all these experiments. And I'd be like, well, I have to wait till the conditions are perfect. Okay, I'm not traveling this week. Everything's calm, works calm. And then I realized that never happened. Our lives are very dynamic. And I mean, you can control for things like, you know, okay, what did I eat this week? If you're kind of keeping that fairly consistent, but things like stressors in your life and work, and that is your normal. I mean, you have to assume that like those types of things are always, you know, coming at you. Even environment and things like that. That's why we, we talk about sleep and in those types of experiments, I spent a lot of time optimizing my bedroom, my sleep space, because that's a third of your life, more or less. And that's an area I can have control over versus like the outdoor environment and other things. So finding the, you know, I guess two tips I would give would be one, find, if you're going to do an experiment, don't start with something that's going to take you six months to do, because that's going to have way more variability in there. Just start with something simple. Like you could look at something over like a three day water fast. It's like three days. And, you know, assuming like you're just not, you're just going to drink water for three days, you have the pre and post, you might have other stressors in your life, but you probably will anyway. And, and then you can work your way into other experiments that might require, you know, just more control, like in terms of all that. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing I would say, a piece of advice would be, you know, make people sometimes when they do self experiments or even any kind of tracking or biohacking they get really hung up on the data and you have to understand, like, you have to look at the data in context, like any piece of wearable, like I have an aura ring and a bio strap on, 
And one day I might wake up and see like my HRV is either super low or crazy high, way above my baseline. And I go, that doesn't look right. And you're okay to question the data sometimes because you might realize what happened was, well, the ring had rotated overnight. I lost data. I only had like this much data for the night. So it only, so my average only calculated off of one sliver. And so it's not an, I, I have to kind of throw that data out the window. Like that night's data was up, you know, don't be like, oh, you know, it says my HRV was through the roof last night, but it was really was like, so you have to kind of understand the context. So when you have these baselines and trends, you can see, you, you kind of know the baseline and you know, when something looks really out of whack, unless you were expecting it, like if you're running an experiment and you're like, okay, I'm expecting to see something happen here, that it's okay to question it and even, you know, throw out a nice worth of data. And that, that's, that's the other thing I would say to a lot of people, like they get into this and you just gotta question that and start simple and it's okay if, there's, if people get excited, especially in the biohacking community about wanting to try a million things, like they, they read, they see a podcast, they read a book, they see, you know, they go to a conference and they get all excited and they're like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to take this supplement, this supplement. And they have no idea what's working or what's not working. And they just go, you know, I'm doing like whatever, a hundred things. And my sleep is better. I feel better. I have more energy. I don't know which actually, you know, which of these hundred things are working or not. I don't care. Money's not an object as long as it's working. Not everybody has that opinion. You know, some people are like, well, no, some of these things are expensive. Some things are time consuming or, and so trying to figure out like what that minimum effective dose is, like what, you know, if there's only like three things that are, you know, that, that you know, move the needle 85%, well, that's a great place to start. And then you can start fine tuning. There's also people who come into it like, to biohacking where they're excited and they want to try all these things, but then you look at them and I go, well, first thing you need to do is like, then maybe they're overweight or there's other issues. I'm like, you need to address some of the baseline things first. So those are simple. Like, I see that quite often that people forget about the basis. So people, instead of the 80, 20, which is kind of the problems of biohacking, focus on the things that matter. People end up focusing on the micro optimizations instead of like the basis of like sleep, movement, diet, social relations, your mindset, there's different ways of setting up what the basis are, right? That people get yeah. so caught up. And I think another thing that you mentioned as well, like the whole tracking of the data and that sometimes the data is actually wrong. And I think that's extremely important to be aware of because now we have to like, there's a disease now where people are so concerned about the sleep that they don't sleep properly, right? And they're so concerned about tracking it. And I think that's really important. And I think especially when we do these kind of podcasts, I always feel it's a responsibility to mention that it's also important to know like what data is accurate and how do you use it? Because that is the big difference. For example, the O-ring, it's amazing at tracking uh, different uh, data parts, but the, the sleep stages, like we haven't been able to see that super accurate, not for hardly any of the different sleep trackers. I've told that EEG measurements for sleep, the ones that actually measure your brain are the most accurate, but still we're not that like we're not that clear on it so it can actually be dangerous for people to get too caught up when they're new in this field and not someone like you that's more seasoned and know like to take it more at ease with some of the data points yeah i mean i yeah i tell people as well like the same just what you were saying like if you're tracking sleep and you're just starting out the most important things i'm looking at are what time did you fall asleep what time did you wake up so how many total hours did you were in bed and how much you know how many disruptions how many times did you wake up or we're awake, you know, or, or toss and turn. Cause that's, cause to me, the sleep stage is secondary. Someone's complaining about not getting enough REM sleep, but I'm like, well, don't worry about the REM sleep. You're, 
you have to figure out why you're waking up 20 times during the night. That's an important, you know, metric there. I, I, I do think, you know, with some of the wearables, so I think with the BioStrap device, they actually don't record on REM. They just, their algorithms are just like deep light awake. Because they, to your point, in their mind, they're saying, well, we can't, even if it's 65% accurate, we don't feel like that's what we want to show. We'd rather just- Five is also pretty far off. Well, like, right. That's, yeah. Like, that's, if you look at it, right. And I think I've been very optimistic with many of the things, but like, I've also seen then how people are actually getting sick from it, where I think we should be careful, like to say, like, how accurate are these things? And if we don't see the results, I interviewed Chuck Hassett, where he was still working at O-Ring, where he said like, well, he wouldn't wanted to remove the sleep stages because him and the sleep sites, they thought it was, he was not accurate enough, right? He, but the O-Ring is amazing. Like the studies being done with COVID and being able to detect People are getting sick before and like, so some of these variables are absolutely amazing with what they can do. It's just important that we take it for what it is. For where when you get data that you think is accurate or you're being sold as accurate from whether it's a blood test, a stool test or something else that turns out to be very like only 60% of the time, right? Then you risk that people are making like decisions from, from actually the wrong data, right? So if you look at it from where I'm from, the business perspective, if you get data that's that inaccurate, you won't make decisions on it. Like you need to have data that's fairly accurate to make decisions, at least if you say you're data driven, right? And I think that's really hard, at least for me, when I'm looking into all these different experiments, like how do you get proper data? And how do you get data that you can actually trust and that are reliable? The same with the blood test. Like I know from my functional doctor or medical doctor who's a functional doctor as well, like he tests several different labs and he says that many labs are actually really bad. So he sends several tests down with the same blood test and the same poop test to make sure they're actually accurate, right? And I find that as a challenge, it's an interesting challenge, but, but I think it's really important to talk about as well. Like how do we solve that? Yeah. I mean, the, again, with lab testing, I, I've had similar experiences where there's, I mean, I'm, I'll get some results back and. I think sometimes it's more like I'm getting like a, not a full panel, but like maybe I'm special I'm getting just a few tests and something like vitamin D will look way off. I was like, that doesn't seem right. I'm like, <laughs> I'll be like, and I'll question it. And then I'll talk to the company and they'll say like, oh, well, we sent it to this lab. Let's run another test and send it to that lab. And then you get like a second opinion back. And then it's like, oh, that looks more like what I was expecting, you know? And instead of panicking and going, why am I, you know, vitamin D levels low? And really they were totally in the right range, you know, something because. In, the, in that case, it was the method that probably they collected the sample with. I, I don't know, but that's supposed to happen. Even, you know, with wearables and all that, like that's why I'll often wear several devices. I like to have that second opinion, kind of, you know, I can kind of look at some data points and go, they're, like, are they fairly consistent or not? But also with lab testing, I mean, we're just testing in general. There's, you know, we talked about people in. Biohackers, they get it, just get very excited and they hear about all these cool things, all these like biological age tests, right? Everyone can learn their biological age and they're going to spend money to get, you know, there's different ways to do it. I think it's like a, it's a nice to have once you've gotten the basics down because it's, it's more of like a guiding trend line, but people are kind of using the vanity metric. Like, Hey, I, you know, and you look at them and you're like, you definitely have a lot of things to work on. They're like, but it says all my biological age is, you know, five years younger than I really am. And I was like, but you could have spent that money on like healthier food or you could have spent that money on like something different. Like it, it. so, but you know, I, I think it's, I think for people, if they have a curiosity, I'm all for it. I think, you know, if, if it's not 
if they can afford it and they, they want to understand these things better, go ahead, by all means. I mean, I'm, I've been the same way. Like I've spent lots of money on exotic tests and technologies, you know, things that, because I just wanted to understand it better or understand myself better. It, it just, you know, it wasn't like, um, trying to cure like a, a chronic disease or something like that. I mean, it was more just like, this is more from as a curiosity standpoint. So I do think, you know, and even if people who want to help support, like a lot of new companies out there and they need folks like us that are not the mainstream market of consumers to help support them early on. And you have to realize like things are going to be rough around the edges. Sometimes they're still building, they're iterating on their products. They're iterating, you know, so if you go into that with that mentality, then it's like, oh, and you feel like you're on the bleeding edge a little bit more, but you're going to question things a little more. But the question I often get is like, all of this tracking, doesn't it just make you a lot more stressed tracking all the stuff? And the answer that I normally give is like, it really depends on how you use it. Like, I don't feel stressed about it. I feel empowered. And, but I also know that some people actually feel very stressed about it. How do you go about that? And like, what's, you must be getting this question way too often. Like, uh, you are the quantified guy that has so many metrics. Isn't it too much? Well, one thing to clarify is I, I, I track a lot of things and a lot of it is being done passively. I don't track everything all the time. So like if I'm tracking continuous glucose, I've worn a sensor multiple times. They last about two weeks. Do I have to always be wearing one? No, because like, I kind of understand my trends. Like I know, okay, unless I want to do another experiment, then I'll like, I'll be like, okay, I know I need, I'm going to wear one while I'm doing, um, these other experiments, but I, but it's not like obsessing about collecting all this data, like certain things, once you've got a, a sample size down, other than the passively collected stuff, I mean, I think it's important to have, like, I've gone back and looked at, you know, 15 years of my um, body composition data, which was kind of cool. Cause I could see, you can see the trends, like at times in my life, things that were happening, told the story. But I think, you know, if someone's like obsessively, you know, you're tracking blood sugar all the time. Like, you know, I, I did that one seven month experiment, but. I, I think once you've got some of the trends down, you can put it aside, you know, kind of know what you have to work on, go back and, and, and visit again. I don't, for me, it's not being stressed about the data. It's that I have the data, even if I'm not using the data, I can, I, I have the ability to go back in time. So five years from now, I can go back, look at some data and go, oh, cause maybe there's new information, new things we have in the future that we don't know about now. And because I have the data, I can go back and look at it. If I don't have that data, that's a problem, you know, and for me, at least I just, cause I can't other than, you know, going, getting like people who get an annual checkup every year and have like one data point for blood sugar. That's really not telling the story. Cause even that blood sugar, like if you're a point, if your lab test would schedule for first thing in the morning, when your blood glucose rises for the first hour, that's it, it probably look higher than it really, your baseline would really be. So. I think for most people, it's like, start simple. I mean, that's my advice is just start simple. Like you don't have to be tracking everything. Don't feel like it. if it's things that are passively collected, by all means, track it. If it's like, you know, you're wearing a wearable or multiple wearables or using certain apps and tools. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it doesn't take any time out of your heart, to, uh, your day to do it. It's just that when it's things like, you know, you have to sit, like I'm tracking, like, uh, I'm using a device that tracks my my metabolism. So I can track whether I'm using what balance of carbs versus uh, glucose I'm, I'm using for energy. So you use it before exercise, after exercise, wake up for, and you can do it all day. 
This is a device called Lumen. Yeah. It's a, it's a breath device that you breathe into it and it basically it's measuring CO2 on the breath and it gives you what's called the RER. The, it's a quote, it's a ratio, basically a rate of like what balance of, of carbohydrates versus fats your body uh, is using for energy. So like if you're fasting and, and you're, you know, you wake up in the morning and you flow into this thing, it's probably going to say like you're hundred, you know, you're totally utilizing fats right now for energy, but there are times where you maybe you can do a really hard strength workout in the afternoon. It's going to tell you like eat two servings of some fast digesting carbs right now, help you power through the workout. That's just going to get sucked right into the muscle. And then you test it an hour after your workout and you're like, no, you're back burning again. So, or you do a fat burning workout, like maybe you do some hit or something like that. And you test and you realize like, look, I, I did this intense workout. I'm not burning necessarily fat right now while I'm working out during these 20 minutes, but two hours from now, my metabolism is elevated and my body is shifting to use, um, you know, fat for, fat for energy. And so that, but that is something where it can take, it's a lot more for compliance, let's say, just to be able to get a lot more data points. It, you have to remember to keep doing it, you know, otherwise you miss some data points and then they have algorithms that gives you a, a score. And if you don't, if you keep forgetting to do it, they can't give you a score. That gets to another thing. With all of these data points, how do you keep an overview? So the kind of software to collect it? Yeah. I believe my sell sheet. Well, so early on I was, yeah, I was putting stuff into Excel sheets and getting different documents and tools. And I, I basically about six years ago, I built my own data warehouse so that I could, because a lot of the data I get comes from not just tools and, and wearables and all that or lab tests, but I wanted a way to like normalize this information of my own into one place where I can then, you know, have it there. If I want to go back and look at it and get later, I can do it. I also have, you know, things that aren't necessarily like there's no app or tool that track. It's something simple maybe that you want to track that it's not like. I don't need an app for it. I, you know, maybe it wasn't a spreadsheet or something like that. And so for me, yeah, that, that was how I built a thing called Bob API a while back. And that was my data warehouse. And, I'm, and now it's like the t- even the way I'm storing data and all that, I'm refactoring all of that into a new, a newer version of it where I can do like more robust sort of insights into, into what, you know, data that's in there. So you use the different APIs or you take off data and manually put in? So, so early on, yeah. So for me, a deal breaker is often when I can't get, I get so like a, I don't want to call it whoop, but like, that's a device that I think it's great. You know, they just raised a ton of money and, and a lot of athletes and elite athletes use them. And I think it's really cool, but they don't allow you to get your raw data. You can't export your data, like really off of it. So and I've been asking them for years about it. And, and so for me, like the fact that I can't get the information out, like I, like you're putting all of your stuff into that app. Most people, that's fine for them. Like they, they, they just need the guidance of like, this is the, you know, a hard training day or a recovery day. But for me, like I'm trying to correlate certain data points with other things. And, and if I don't have the data, I just, it becomes a deal breaker for me. And so, so I, when possible, I, I rely on, you know, companies that offer APIs to which is, it just stands for application programming interface. It's just a, means it's a, it's an open protocol where you can query your data in raw format, download it. And you know, and if you want to put it in a database and do something else with it, you can. Some apps will just do a straight off export and that's a little more involved because then it's like, you have to dump it into a file that you need to have and write scripts that process that information and put it in. There's other things where I've built 
just my own like like a simple front end on top of things where you could just I could just type in something really quick and log the uh, information. So it was you know there are companies out there now that are building um, tools for people to connect all of their you know not all well not everything right it, it, like I mean getting closer and closer because my whole problem was there were five years ago there were things out there that let you maybe do half of your half of what you had you can pull in but if i can't do everything it's not true insight so i can't see all of my information in one place i'm missing a big portion of it let's say half of it it's not really giving me an accurate you know view of, of what's going on yeah so, and i think it, you know it's, it's getting close better and more challenging because you've got a lot of this aggregations you've got things like google and apple are trying to aggregate into their systems and then the app developers, instead of offering APIs, they'd rather just have you connect Apple Health and export or, you know, Google Fit and, and export your data from there. But the problem is that you lose some granularity with that. Sometimes it's only summarized at a very high level and you lose the raw data you would have gotten through an API. There might be some more, more valuable insights that I, you know, want to look at, especially when you're trying to do some correlations. But I mean, listen, but for the average person, I think they can use. Some of these tools are out there are, are great. I think for you know, people who are just like, look, I just want to connect a few things. I want to have a, you know, something. Some of the top tools for that, Bob, that you know about. Um, so if you're on, if you're a developer, there is actually a platform called Human API that I think they offer a free API. Where they let you connect all of your, you can connect different devices. They have a commercial business where they're working with like insurance companies and all that to help them. They use their. These are architecture essentially, but they also offer a free, like a version of that. If you're someone who's more just like, I just want to connect some stuff and have like a nice dashboard to look at things. There's a tool called Heads Up Health that's out there that um, I think they connect, they connect to a lot of wearables and you could also pull in, I think, like some lab testing and, and other things. And, uh, and I think for a lot of people, like that's a pretty good, um, place and if you want like if you if you like looking at data like more visual there's a, an app called gyroscope that does like really beautiful data visualizations you know it's all but but again that's to me that's like for people who just like to look at the data like but from that standpoint not you're not really getting into the digging deep into it and and what's cool is now we're seeing a lot of companies that are they're let's say they're coming from more of the lab testing kind of the more the startup space, not, not the big labs, but the companies that are offering very specialized testing. So like some companies are building, like they're building apps that sit, that integrate with like the continuous glucose monitors, right? So you can, they you basically, you can put in your certain other data points and then match it, marry it with the glucose data. And we're seeing like that kind of aggregation. But again, that's not giving you the full view of your life. It's just saying that's an app, but it's a snapshot of it. And so I think that someone's trying to like, take a more like an expert like, test experiment driven approach to some of this, like they're allowing you to do that. Like they're, cause they're letting you say, you know, create like an, not experiment per se, but like you can say, okay, I took, you know, this supplement for this period of time. And then if you marry that with the data, you can say, well, was there an impact there? You know, there's, I think those are fine to start with that people can go uh, Google and look up time is running. So I want to make sure we get around some other stuff as well. If you had to quick sum up like the three biohacks or t uh, experiments that you've done, that you think made the biggest difference for you? 
what would some of them be? The biggest ones I would say, I would say the experience I've done around, around fasting for me, where, uh, pretty, pretty, like just for me to understand about my body and it's, and like why the importance of, of letting your body have a reset. I mean, I'm not doing it for weight loss or anything other. It's really just gives my body periodic resets and it has really profound effects, you know, to even to do like, I do a different length fast, a quarterly versus like a longer one, maybe once a year. Hello. Long let's use like a five day, okay. five day, just water fasting though. It's admitted fasting, like doing most days. Yeah. So probably like five days a week, I do more like intermittent fast. I probably have some coffee in the morning, eat lunch early afternoon in the afternoon and and at dinner. So pretty much two meals. Yeah. And this was my week, but then, and then my, you know, you don't see your body sometimes if I'm training really hard during week exercise, like it might be a night where like one night my body's just like, it's craving carbs. Like it like not unhealthy carbs, but it's like, you need the energy, you need to fuel up for the workout that you're going to have tomorrow. And I'm okay with that. Like I'm not, you know, I don't, I, I'm keto adapted. Like my body can ship fuel sources, but I don't think I don't prescribe my, you know, I'm not saying like I'm all in one camp or the other. I, you know, I just try to follow a, a pretty consistent diet, but, um, but yeah. So for me, that was, you know, just the eating. Thing one. What's the second one? I did a lot of experiments around understanding my indoor environment. So air quality, water quality, EMFs, things like that in my home. And I wrote like several blog posts, I think I did a three part on it. And for me, it was like, you know, you live in, like I live in New York city. So the environment, the outdoor environment is a certain state. I can't control the outdoor environment unless you move or do something else, but I have control over my indoor environment. And so I, you know, by understanding things and, and finding these hidden stressors and finding uh, ways to optimize, you know, especially like we said earlier about, uh, you know, even like your bed, something as simple as your bedroom, like that can have a huge impact on your overall well-being because it's a third of your life and you're in your house, which more for even now, because I think over the last year and a half where many people were stuck home or working from home versus maybe going into an office, you're here, you know, you're not just here in the evening and you it in sleep. You're there all day. So doing experiment just, you know, really just understanding the effects of you know, these hidden stressors around the home, whether, you know, um, you might think your home's clean and, and all that. And, you know, just like I'm looking at my, my computer, like if I look up Wi-Fi and see the number of Wi-Fi hotspots that just around, you know, just everywhere around you and, you know, like this is within a block of my home, you know, you, there's, you, know you definitely want to do things to kind of mitigate some of that. You know, I would say that would be the second the one that was a pretty big set of experiments that, that worked for me. And then, you know, I would say the, the last one would probably be just really diving deep into all the blood sugar tracking, like, and then marrying that information with other data points, like in terms of having an impact, because I often will overlay that information into other things. So, you know, whether, you know, we talked about blood sugar and, and fasting, but exercise and diet, it seems to have it, you know, an effect. And it, and I think for most people, it's one number. It's very simple to track. Like it's a very easy thing that you can track and plot a point 
day by day. It's not like a complicated, you know, sort of thing. And so I, I think for me, it like just understanding those effects. I mean, there's, I've done a lot of exotic things. Like, I mean, we could talk about things like peptides and all that. So like, I don't know the audience is like, it's a little more out there, but like, there are things that I've experimented with that have had pretty profound effects on my body, but like from a data driven, like perspective, I think, you know, just really looking at those types of numbers and metrics, you know, and, and you know, sleep loops, wearables and all that for more just like, that's just showing like my progress, like giving me, you know, insight as what's going on, but optimizing your environment, optimizing, you know, metabolic health, optimizing your environment, metabolic health. And, you know, we talked about just overall, like things like sleep and, and all that. That to me is like really in stress, obviously. <laughs> Uh, it are the areas that like everyone, you know, doesn't matter what your, how advanced or beginner you are. Those are all areas people want to focus on. Agree. Before rounding off, what's one thing that you're pretty excited about testing these days or uh, trying out? Ooh. So I've got lots of things queued up. The challenge has been, you know, the inability to like really travel and, and do other things. So with one, okay, one thing that I'm looking to do is, so with body composition testing, you know, we went from like standing on a scale, getting these impedance scales, we can get your body fat. And then we've got like DEXA scans, which have like a low level of radiation. And now they're doing full body MRIs. And, and you, it, it doesn't use any radiation, but you get to sit in you know, a full body MRI that you normally think of like when you have surgery. But what's cool is they can use that not just to like see your entire into your body and, and look at my health perspective, like they can detect, you know, they're doing things to detect like tumors and all that, but like just the simplest body composition, like they, these things can then give you the most accurate kind of like representation of what's going on in your body. That's more like a cool technology that I would like to be able to, you know, try out the, the price point on them right now. It's lower than it used to be, so it's still a full body MRI is pretty expensive. And then, and if you've ever had an MRI, you know, they take a while. Like you have to lay very still inside this tube. For, like, so what's the current price tag around? I, the last I saw around here, I think there was about $2,500 US for a full body MRI. Well, yeah. Good. You know, and you, and you, yeah. And you're like, it, you, I don't, you can't like use insurance or anything. So you don't have to pay, you know, this is very much an elective sort of, sort of thing. You know, just seeing. What's going on with, um, just, I mean, there's all these areas of longevity that, you know, a lot of people are taking lots of pills and doing things, but like, we're not going to know the effects of these for 20 years. So if, you know, I just talked to someone who's, you know, they've been taking metformin and these sort of things and they're re they were relatively young and I was, oh, okay. And I was like, well, I want to start now because, you know, we don't know like what, you know. It might be helping. We will know what, what it actually is doing for a while, you know? And I think, so I, I've helped, you know, there's often times where I look at an experiment and I weigh the, the pros and cons, even whether it's from a safety or efficacy point, and I decide whether or not to do it. So, so I, I kind of held off on like, you know, things like rapamycin, but I've researched a lot, you know, certain, like pet, we talked about peptides earlier and there's a lot of exotic ones, and other, but there's some basic ones that have been very well studied that I've. I've noticed personal benefits from, and so for me, it's kind of like go taking, going that direction a little more and seeing like, 
what, you know, these compounds that just trigger processes in the body to do their own thing that help whether it's regenerate or optimize or, you know, it, it's not like you're putting a, a, a like steroids in your body or, or some other ex- exogenous drug. It's actually just a signaling molecule that gets your body to do its own thing. And so a lot of people are probably even listeners of your podcast will maybe take a thing, you know, something like EPC-157, which is body protection compound, which is one of the most studied peptides that's out there. And they use it everything from healing guts to any like uh, injuries in the body because they're systemic. These molecules float around the bloodstream and it goes, oh, there's some damage there to that tissue. Let's send a signal to tell the body to go work on that repair. And some of these things are pretty you know, miraculous. Unfortunately, like we're seeing a bit of a, the, the, the certain governments and certain regulatory agencies are, are cracking down on certain things, especially there was one in particular that seemed to have a good, like an effect, on, a positive effect with treating, uh, I don't know if I can say certain words, I could get answered. <laughs> But the seeds that cannot be mentioned, the yeah, yeah. So people were, you know, using as a treatment, and you know, just as a because it's delayed to help rapidly heal the body, and and then the FDA kind of came in. US was like, you know, hey, we don't want you selling that. What's Dimus and Alpha One? Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting to see. I think NAD also is did that get banned certain places or was it? Uh, N A N A C N A C and N A C cysteine, and so it basically I don't know the exact exactly what happened. I just remember, I just remember a lot of people scrambling to buy as much as they. <laughs> yes, that's that's what I thought. So, uh, buy it before you can't get it longer. Yeah, I'm not sure what the motivation there was. I, I think it's any time you know when there's something that threatens. I mean, it's not gonna play conspiracy or anything, but I do think. There are things out there that have been shown safe for a long time. Okay, there's definitely things out there that are fringy and new that they could say, okay, it requires more testing and or understanding of it and research. But there are things that have been established and out there for a very long time. And, um, you know, for them to suddenly say, no, we can't sell this or, you know, restrict access to doctors from having it. It's an issue. But, you know, but I also just tell people like, okay, you know, we shouldn't always have to rely on everything in a pill. If we just focus on how do we, you know, be more active, move around, be socially, all those t- tips to like, you know, how do you improve your overall uh, quality of living and, and all those other things that you know, they're supplements. That's what they're meant to supplement, you know, in areas. And there's definitely times where like, I'll take something acutely if I need it, like, okay. You know, like, you know, maybe something like okay, an example would be like someone was like, they're hungover or there's, you know, something It's like, there's certain things you can take to help mitigate those effects on a very acute level versus just things like, okay, my normal supplement stack, which I've, nor- I've actually over time, um, shrunken down. Cause I'm like, do I need to be taking like 50 different things a day? I was like, no, I can whittle this down. And there may be periods where I cycle things through. And I think we can, you know, we end up with like these giant medicine cabinets full of supplements, that, you know, and we're trying everything out and it's some people like. People want to, because sometimes it's like these things do, they can help you, but you, they expect you to feel something. And it's more of like a long-term thing. It's like, you know, if I take, let's say vitamin D, do I feel necessarily different every day? Yes, no, yeah, maybe not. Versus like when people take certain supplements that like give them a boost of energy immediately, right? It's like, oh, and that's why people like they, these whole markets of pre-workouts and things like that are being sold because it's basically like you feel it. Like it's like an instant like rush. 
but it's something that you're like, no, you just take this or, you know, it's going to prolong your quality of, of living. People, some people get it, some, you know, some people don't, but yeah. Time's running, Bob. Where can people find out more about you? So one thing is they can go to the Biohacking Congress, which is down in Miami, the 17th and 16th of October, and they can see you speak there. Where else can people find out more about you? Sure. Uh, you can go to my blog, which is at quantifiedbob.com, or that's more like long-term blog posts, like experiments and things I've run. If you go to my Instagram, which is just quantifiedbob or Twitter, that'll be where I'm you know, sharing more like day-to-day -day things. Sometimes I'm showing things for real time. So maybe I'm setting up an experiment or showing up a piece of technology that may work, you know, work its way into a blog post. Probably the, the two best ways. And the company, the technology studio that kind of working on where we're building some cool products around everything from breath work to more health-related things. We even built like a, a, a peptide calculator app because we were sick of spreadsheets. It's awesome lab. It, it, so if you go to isjustawesome.com, you, you can see some of the things we're working on there. Fantastic. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Hey, Fads. Good to be here. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share it with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.